Hey everybody, welcome to Outspoken. I'm your host, Justin White. This is episode 76. Um, Before I introduce my guest, I wanted to talk about why I was not here last week. And just in general, talk about what's been going on. And I hope, uh, I don't think my guest will mind too much that I use this time and space for that. Um, I have been in the grips of a pretty wicked depression lately. Um, I've experienced depression my whole life, and it used to come in waves and, you know, sort of ebb and flow, and I kind of understood the rhythm of it. And then... uh, it seems lately, well, since a certain someone took office, uh, it's gotten worse. And I think that's true for a lot of people I know. And uh, it's, But it keeps getting worse. And the waves have started to come closer together and they're overlapping more. And it's sort of unpredictable and it's uh, deeper and wider than it ever was before. So um, there are times when I cannot even get the uh, energy or motivation or will together to do much of anything other than get through the day. And sometimes I'll have a whole string of days like that where I'm just barely keeping afloat and uh, it sucks, man. And I'm sure that many of you have experienced this in one form or another. And uh, uh, it's rough. I wouldn't wish it on anybody. So the reason I'm telling you this is that, uh, well, first of all, I just wanted to explain why I'm occasionally absent. But um, mainly because I want to connect with people and get help when I need it and offer help when I can give it and encourage people to share what's going on with them, uh, especially when they're struggling, even though that's usually the hardest time to do it. But I just want to know, I want everybody to know that uh, you are not alone. We are all out here doing whatever we're doing and trying to make it through this confusing uh, existence. And yeah, stick together, everyone uh give give love give whatever you can give to um help each other along it can get pretty tough sometimes so uh, enough of the bummers uh i would like to introduce my guest a friend of mine from years back we've actually only hung out a couple of times but um i feel like we're kindred spirits and i felt like that as soon as we met uh, his name is Billy. He's a pretty remarkable guy. And um, this episode is a little bit unusual. It's um, two parts, but uh, posted simultaneously. Uh, Billy had a really incredible experience and wanted to tell the story. And I wanted to keep the story whole. So um, the first part is just us in conversation, as usual. Uh, and then the second part is the story which involves a dream and an ayahuasca trip. And uh, I don't want to give anything away, so stick around for the rest. And then at the very end, I'll give all of Billy's information. Uh, he's a, he's an incredible artist. He makes all kinds of really cool stuff. So definitely stay tuned to find out about that. Um, so yeah, let's listen to the Mud Pots bubble in Yellowstone Park. And then we'll talk to Billy. Well, thank you for being here. Thanks thanks for being a guest. Thanks for having me, man. I'm stoked about this. Me too. Yeah, it's good. I, I, uh, when you told me that we hadn't, that it had been three years since you moved up there, I was kind of dumbfounded that it's been that long, but, um, I believe you, I think it has been, I'm, I'm not, I don't think I'm lying about it. I don't think you no. are either. I think I just can't keep track of time. It does go by really quick. Yeah. Um, 
So do you want to, you want to like catch me up on sort of what your life has been about up there for a bit? Sure. Um, well, I guess, you know, it has been just over a few years since I moved up to, uh, Fort Bragg area, Mendocino. I'm a little bit north of Fort Bragg, moved up here from the Bay area, from Oakland. And, um, you know, man, I just, I just really needed a change and, you know, I was getting really tired of the rat race and working, working, working. And for sure I was having fun and being creative and doing fun and cool stuff down there. But, um, the routine started to get a little, a little too monotonous and, um, I just needed to mix things up and I was just really feeling a call towards a lot more nature. Um, the occasional stint to like Redwood regional park down in Oakland or other outlaying parks just out of, out of the city. They're nice. They're good escapes and they scratch the itch, but there's nothing that compares with just full nature immersion and not seeing telephone wires and not seeing houses in the distance and not hearing traffic and stuff like that. That's a big one. Yeah. It's a, it's a big, you know, nature doesn't have that stuff. Right. And although you get, you know, like I said, you'll scratch the itch and it feels great to be in with the trees and establish trails and all that kind of stuff. Um, I just knew from prior experience that, you know, I was kind of wanting more of the real deal. Totally. So, um, yeah, I just kind of slowly started to segue into being artistic and creative in ways that I wouldn't necessarily need to rely on galleries and art shows and stuff like that. Not that that was my only means of making money. And at that time I was definitely not supporting myself as, as an artist. I was definitely um, supplementing and augmenting my life with it. I was still, you know, working a nine to five, you know, for four or five days a week, um, mostly at Amoeba. And then I got into some other stuff. And so, you know, I was punching a time card for somebody else a lot. And um, I wanted to see what I could do to diversify myself so I can position myself to be more in nature, more secluded area cities or towns that, um, I could, you know, just tap into, uh, the internet and be able to schlep goods that way and communicate with folks that way and, um, stay connected and be productive and sell my work that way and not have to worry about, about the galleries and art shows and, and more localize commerce avenues that I was relying on before. Right. And you said you were, you kind of worked your way toward that. You knew that's what you were going to do. I, you know, I did in the back of my head, I didn't know how it was going to pan out, but I knew eventually further down in my life, um, I was going to want that. Uh, I knew that the city life for me wasn't, going to last forever. I was, like I said, I was getting burnt out on it and stuff already. And you know, I'm 45 now. And so I just knew, I just figured it's a good, it was a good plan to start inching towards that route. Yeah. Is that why you started to do leather work more than collage? Did you have a sense that it would be more of a portable art, uh, pursuit? Well, I didn't, I didn't really know. And I didn't really 
know if I would like it or uh, be good at it or excel at it or, or any of that stuff. I just kind of, um, I just kind of dove in, you know, I just, I kept getting, uh, hits from my grandfather, you know, who, I don't know, I guess he, he passed away maybe, um, almost 20 years ago or so, but we were really close and he was into leather work and leather tooling and made all kinds of stuff, you know, just really great with his hands all around and, and creative. And so I was, um, you know, I definitely have kept him as a spiritual guide, an ancestor guide uh, for me in my life. And I would get these little, these little pokes and prods and just kept hearing this voice, like, you know, get my, get my leather working tools, get my leather working tools. And I didn't even really know where they were. And I have always been interested in leather work because I kind of grew up with it around. I remember amongst all kinds of other stuff in my grandfather's workshop, he did have a bench set aside for that kind of work. And I saw wallets and belts and gun holsters and knife sheaths and all this stuff that he had made were around. And I always felt a really strong connection to it and was always just amazed at how it could even come into being, how it could be put together and designed and all that stuff. So, um, so I did do a little bit of poking and prodding and found out, you know, well, where are, where are grandpa's tools and turned out, um, my, one of my aunts had them. And I reached out to her and asked her, you know, if she's not doing anything with them, could I, could I use them? And she said, sure, of course, and send them to me right away. And, you know, just gave them to me basically. And, um, yeah, then I just dove in. I was, you know, blessed with, I don't even know a lot of the, a lot of the tools and stamps are not even in production anymore. So some of them can get pretty pricey, but you know, I'd, I'd say at least two or $3,000 worth of, um, pretty choice stamps and, and, and tools to, to dive in. So that's what I did. I just, um, figured, well, I just, I saved a lot of money on, on the startup part of things. Now it was up to me to kind of do a little bit of research. And so I, I had a few old books, even stuff that kind of came along with his tools. And so I, I kind of dove into those, but I'm very much a visual person. I need to see how things, um, flesh out. And so, um, luckily, you know, this, our day and age, we've got good old YouTube. So I, I jumped on there and watched some old timers make some stuff and sort of got the gist of it. But I'm also as an, as an artist, I'm also really careful to not have, uh, I understand the importance of not being too influenced. Right. By, uh, you know, like a certain artist that I'm really into or a certain aesthetic that I'm really into and how it's done or how somebody else has done it because I want to figure out how, you know, how to do it myself because I feel that's where your own true aesthetic um, style, if you will, comes into play. Totally. So had you ever watched your grandfather make stuff or was it, you just saw the finished project products and the tools? Yeah, not, I didn't see, he never gave me any sort of, um, instruction on, on, on that medium. And no, I never did watch him do stuff. I think, you know, I think it was kind of a bigger thing for him, like in the late sixties, maybe early seventies is when he was really getting into that stuff. And I was born in 74 and, um, I think he was on to some other stuff like building his own home and, 
a bunch of other stuff. We did a ton of stuff together, but that's not one of them. It was mostly just me seeing his creations around. And I think maybe not seeing the process also added to some of the mystique around it and and, in how it was created. I I never really um, got a grasp of that along the line. It was not until I started to do more research and start experimenting myself or, but it was cool because I had a lot of his pieces with me, even in my studio, even, you know, close to my workbench. So I could kind of see like, Oh, well, how did he make that? You know, that part of the flower pop or how did he, where did he decide to place, um, um, some darker shading techniques or, or whatever. And being, you know, coming from already knowing how to draw and paint a little bit and just put things together myself. I think that definitely helped me leaps and bounds as far as how to tool and, you know, shading is a huge part of leather working and achieving, uh, that, um, depth perception that I was pretty efficient as a graph, uh, graphite, um, drawer. So, um, a lot of the mm-hmm. techniques just felt really natural to me right away. That's cool. Did you have, did you go to art school or did you have any kind of training? No, I, you know, right out of high school, I did do a couple years at a community college out in Michigan where I grew up and I did get, um, a liberal arts degree. So I dabbled in painting, dabbled in drawing, dabbled in ceramics. Um, but you know, they were just sort of glorified high school classes, to be honest with you. Yeah. Didn't really lead me in any one way artistically. Um, and sort of just, you know, two years is kind of a, a flash in the pan and not really long enough to to really dig into any one sort of medium and let alone, you know, studying a handful at a time. So right. no, I, I, ne- I never really, I never did the art school thing. Um, and I'm really glad I didn't, especially, you know, being being in the Bay area later as an artist consistently making work and showing work. I, uh, I saw a lot of, a lot of my friends that were going to expensive art schools in the city and, uh, CCA and, and, and Oakland. And, you know, they're all accomplished artists and really good at what they do. And they went to these schools and definitely probably fine tuned their chops, but man, did they end up walking away with a huge amount of money that they owed. And, you know, what I was seeing and a lot of them was, you know, the, the, um, artistry was already there. The, their skill sets were already pretty much established and in place and they were already doing cool stuff. And, um, I just always kind of with the art school thing, I always wonder like, man, I, I feel like a lot of my friends and, you know, definitely applied this towards myself too. It's like, I would rather take the $20,000 for the first year of art school and apply that towards a bunch of gear, a bunch of of different, you know, paper and gouache and whatever kind of mediums I wanted to explore with. I would rather dump all that money into that and just fucking dive into it. And just, you know, it takes a certain kind of person for sure. You have to, you have to, um, you know, push yourself. But, yeah, that might be the reason that for a lot of people, it's necessary, just just the framework of it, and just to have the, you know, some kind of structure and discipline. Yeah, I, 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 I think you're right. And I get that. But then it's still to me does it's not justifiable in some weird way. It's almost like, well, we'll take a 
take a class on how to better manage your time yeah. uh, for a hundred bucks at the community college or something and learn what you need to do to have that sort of mindset and then uh, still go buy all the gear and, and do all the, the work. And then, you know, I alluded to it earlier too, where it's like when you're in a classroom and you're surrounded by all these other people and you look to your left, you look to your right, you look behind you, in front of you, and you're, you're looking at your uh, uh, colleagues' art constantly while you're working on your own art. It's hard to not be influenced by those other artists that are constantly around you, that are constantly showing, this is what I'm working on, and what are you working on, and Right. doesn't leave much room to really breathe and explore and not have because all that stuff seeps in whether you know it or not or whether you realize it or not it does seep in and i'm not saying that i don't i'm not influenced by anybody or anything i totally am i know i am but um i feel like obtaining my own style came a lot faster because I was putting the work in on my own sort of more secluded uh, listening to music and just diving in and and crumbling things up and burning stuff and just really immersing myself in what I was doing with not much um, influence in the work space. Right. That's great. Yeah, I think it, I mean, that's sort of my preferred style as well, but I, but I recognize that it's not everyone's like so some people maybe don't without the inspiration, they don't have any idea where to like what to do. And maybe it's by trial and error or by, you know, copying for a little bit mm -hmm. that you learn to get your own style. Yeah. That's, that's definitely part of part of the practice and I guess I'm just uh I like I like to share this idea because I feel like a lot of folks especially younger people um they don't um ever really entertain that as an option right they just think well I've got to get the degree, the parents want me to get some kind of a degree, or I want to get some sort of a degree to move forward and um, being a creative person, but it's absolutely not necessary. Um, I think a lot of the better artists I've ever met and seen work by weren't sort of classically trained or trained in some sort of uh, scholastic arena i totally agree that it's a good it's a good idea to put out there in the world and that more people and and the other thing is like you could always just start that way and if you weren't getting anywhere mm -hmm. then take some classes or that you know yeah. like you, could, you can start out by just making a whole bunch of art and see what you like and see what your medium mm -hmm. is and and i like your advice to take a time management class or some you know like some kind of so, I don't know. It seems like most artists I know have a hard time with the business end of things. And uh, so any kind of help with that would, would be nice. I can't imagine taking a business class personally, uh -huh. but um, yeah, but uh, maybe it, you know, maybe something that would get you get the discipline in place. Uh, unless you're just one of those people who's just driven to make art, which I'm, I've always been envious of those folks. Because I, as much as I love it, and as many different ways that I like to be creative as there are, I still, it's pretty easy to just default to something else, you know, to like yeah. consumption rather than production. Yeah, it's it's true. It it does take a a lot of personal personal commitment, and um, it's definitely something that I did when I started to kind of take things more seriously i know you you're also good buddies with um our friend rich jacobs yeah and um he really you know i don't even 
I don't even know if I would even be really making too much art if it wasn't for Rich. Really? Yeah. He, um, cool. you know, just um, inspiration-wise, just seeing his style sort of morph and get fine-tuned. But um, not only what he was up to all seemed really rad to me and still does always have, always has. He uh, really sort of nurtured that side of me when I, when I started to get into things, it was more like personal and he would come by my pad or whatever I'd shown what I'd work on was working on and he'd really get behind it. And since I respected him so much as not only a, an artist, but as a friend and somebody that was like into a lot of ideas that I was also into, I think it um, hit home with me a little bit more than, and than a lot of other people would. And then he was always curating. So he was always putting these really cool shows together and they were a really nice um, amalgamation of accomplished artists with big names, you know, uh, behind their work. And also these like sort of newcomer, um, less experienced, less fine-tuned artists, but were doing something interesting and cool enough for him to um, grasp and, and get into. And I think there was a handful of, of artists that kind of fell into that category for him, and I think I was one of them. So he would invite me to show in these, you know, group shows, and it'd be like Barry McGee and Ed Templeton and um, all these artists that I looked up to and thought were up to some rad shit. And so it would really be like, wow, really, dude, you want me to be in that show? And he'd be <laughs> so gung ho about it. And then it would really push me to try and do the best work that I could for it. Even though it was just one, one piece or a couple few pieces, it really pushed me to step up my game a bit and that's just really it's kind of like skating um which both rich and i were pretty deep into that world where i remember growing up in michigan a lot of the older skaters would just back then they it was called like egging you on you know you'd get somebody would egg you on to like you know hit the bigger ramp or go for a bigger air or hit the flight of 10 stairs instead of the five stairs or whatever. And so there was this constant like kind of pushing and like, um, um, and it just, it just really helped propel, um, your creativity and how, how good you are or, or how much you excelled at something. And so f f there is this, there is like the, a lot of like connection, I think between the skate world and artistic, the art world and creativity and how to improvise and how to stimulate each other and push ideas and push boundaries. And, um, yeah, not to go too deep into uh, Rich being like such a a pillar for me, but um, he really he really did that for me, and I feel like um, I probably I had you know uh, an artist and a creative is just in my blood and it is who I am, but I think a lot of people probably could say that for themselves too, but they're not doing that kind of work. Right. So it really meant that really meant a lot. And um, I just always tried to honor honor that connection that um, between him and I and also been aware of it that I could be that for people as well, hopefully. That's cool. Yeah, I think that's really a great thing to remember. And I think Rich is that way. He has been that for a lot of people. He's always been such a great yeah. advocate and and a supporter and he's he's just really good at encouraging people to go for it yeah and and his art 
is a is an expression of that too because he just he doesn't really it doesn't seem like he he's like thinking whether or not he's going to do something he just does it yeah it's and that's that's such a such a great thing for any artist who doesn't have the confidence yet to do that and is sort of hung up on refining their their style or getting good enough to show their work he's just like fuck it i'm just going to make this and then put it on the wall and that you know and it's like it's really great and i love you know he he was an amazing curator because for the reason that you said like he would mix all these different artists from, of, of different levels and uh all kinds of different styles but it would still be cohesive and mm-hmm. he's just like a great bringer together of of people and um and always a positive attitude and yeah i think it's it's huge it's huge to have somebody like that in your life forgotten that you're from michigan because i am too you know oh is that right I, I think i forgot about that as well where are you from from ann arbor okay cool. and you kalamazoo that's right i remember learning that very early on when we met and then i forgot but i can still hear your accent i can still hear a bit oh, of michigan yeah, yeah. so it's not it's not as thick as as some but it's uh I, I, you know, there's a definite Midwestern thing, and then there's also specific to Michigan. I think. Uh huh. Yeah, I'll hear that. Some people will say that every once in a while, and I'm just kind of, oh, really? You can you can pick up on that, but, um, yeah, Ann Arbor's cool. I used to go up there quite a bit from Kalamazoo. It's about an hour and a half, and I had a girlfriend that was going to um, U of M. 
for a little nice. bit. So I was going up there a lot to hit up the record stores and hit up some skate spots and just kind of some uh, good record stores. Yeah. Back in the day. Yep. Yeah. School kids and discount records. And well, I don't know what years you were going, I guess in college. Well, you must, you were there at some of the same, I'm just a couple years older than you. So we were probably there. The yeah. Same this, time. this would have been like, um, um, late nineties, I guess, uh, 95, 96 ish, I guess I was going up there a lot. So yeah, I remember those okay. stores you just mentioned. I was already gone by then, but, I, but maybe, uh, well, I guess Wazoo was there by then. Oh yeah. Wazoo was there for sure. That was a great record store. Yeah. And they had a, the theater there too, which was always showing really cool stuff. I remember seeing the half Japanese movie there back in the day and, Nice. That was really cool. Did you like growing up in Michigan? Um, I did, actually. Um, you wouldn't really think it was would be that stimulating of, of a place, but Kalamazoo at that time was really, really cool. Um, sandwiched right in the middle between Detroit and Chicago. So a lot of bands would stop in, in KZU and play gigs. Um, and you know, at the time I was just, uh, just totally into music and would kind of go see every live band I possibly could see, whether it was at some small club or a church or, you know, lots of basements in Michigan. So a ton of basement shows. So, um, there was a lot of that going on and a lot of my friends were in bands and I was in bands and my brother was in bands. And so it was just full on, um, that sort of, uh, energy and angst around music and, and there's, there's a lot of artists too, but I think it, at that time it was more of like, uh, music and skating was pretty big too, even though we couldn't do it the full year round. Eventually we did get a, an indoor skate park in a big warehouse. It was still cold as shit, but <laughs> it was still fun to be out of the snow and be able to skate all yeah. year round. Cause you know, we would just be watching these videos and looking at skate mags of all this California stuff where these guys are just young kids, just crushing it. Cause they were getting basically two years out of our one year. <laughs> Right, growing up in the Midwest, and yeah, I never thought about that. They get they get to practice year round. Yeah, yeah. In Michigan, you got to take a break from yeah, pretty much everything. Yep, you got to sign off for a little while, and it was always a bummer. Couldn't wait for the snow to melt out on the street. You know, me and my brother would be out there with our ramp and and just like you know, twenty five square foot of dry street space to work with but <laughs> right. we were thankful for it yeah, amidst the, the filthy ice banks yeah line every street mm -hmm. that's cool um so i want to go back to early on you said something about getting hits from your grandfather like hearing his voice and um what like how what was what form was he coming to you in dreams or was is it just like this intuitive sense or what was happening there um a little bit maybe in dreams but um it'd be more uh when i'd find myself in a situation where i could be a little bit more quiet with myself and 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 my surroundings and actually, you know, reach out to him too. It's, um, I think a lot of us forget that our ancestors are very much still a part of our life and, um, they're there, whether we're looking for them or asking them or trying to get a connection with them or not, they're there. But it's really, if you're open to the idea of nurturing that relationship, I think um, most people will be surprised that there is uh, an interplay that will that will start. Um, may not be 
every time you try to connect. Um, How would you try to connect? Well, mostly it'd, it'd be in the form of just uh, acknowledging him, acknowledging that he was there, acknowledging that he was um, still looking over me, asking for guidance, um, letting him. So would you would you like address him out loud? Um, sometimes out, out loud, yeah, um, depending on where I was or whatever, but also just in my head, just having this uh, a dialogue basically where I was, you know, just kind of letting him know that I know you're there and I want you to still be a part of my life. You've got more experience here than I do. And now you're, you're, you know, you're loaded with this, this other perspective from where you're at. And so, man, like why, why not tap into that? If you, if you can, why not um, try to establish something if if nothing happens nothing happens um and i think you know a lot of a lot of our ancestors too maybe they move on uh pretty quickly but um into something else and their energy is elsewhere but i think you know some ancestors do stick around to, to sort of watch over us and at least that's my perspective and cool. it's it's um, rang true for me. I've definitely have felt him with me. I've definitely had um, some help with some hard decisions, and I think panned out for the better because I was open. I was open to listening, mm-hmm. and um, that was sort of my first. You know, he was probably the first person to leave this world. Uh, for me, I think probably a lot of folks, you know, their grandparents, you know, are, are their first sort of real experience with death of somebody close um, and, and seeing that and feeling the grief firsthand finally in your life. You know, I think I think for a lot of folks, it's their their grandparents that they 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 have that interaction happened with first and it was definitely the case for me and um, we had a really good connection a lot of times actually I kind of felt like he was more of a father to me than my dad was just because of the amount of time and and he was putting in with me and energy and what he was teaching me he was always trying to teach me and you know when we're young it's hard it's really it's impossible really to uh grasp their perspective on life the life that they've had and the life that they're looking over you know looking over your life as their grandchild um they they really want us to have the best that we can have to know the most that we can know to have the best life here that we possibly can get and um I, I don't think there's many other folks in our in our life that we could say that of. And that's like um, really true knowledge and really true guidance that's very hard to come by. And right. so yeah, if I if it's if there's a chance that it's there, I want to connect with it. That was kind of my initial um, feeling about it. And so that's kind of how things started with that and then did you get you got some sort of feedback and like eventually or initially right away or how did it yeah I I feel I felt you know from the get-go that he was still around and that he was still watching over and um that connection um was pretty immediate um and you know like I said I just I, I felt like I got sort of swayed one way over another and and a handful of um, decisions that I had to make that may have been tough and um, they ended up panning out. So I thought, you know, that even it sort of solidified things for me a little bit more that that energy was there and that guidance was still there. And um, he indeed was still with me and I could rely on that um, to some extent. 
That's really cool. I, I have the, I believe the same and I have experiences of that with, uh, well, specifically with my uncle who died when I was pretty young. Mm. Um, and also with, uh, good friends who have passed, mm. but I, but I don't, I don't think I've done all that much to cultivate it, even though I totally believe in it and I'm, I'm aware of their presence. I don't really ask for stuff, but, but I think I will start to now, not, not like stuff, but like ask for guidance and ask. Yeah. I feel like I've gotten that guidance without asking. And I feel like in some ways I've had guardian angels protect me from many times, actually from things where I was kind of in trouble and, did something, you know, sort of felt like it was beyond my decision-making it. Something happened that steered me in the right direction. Um, yeah. So it's pretty cool to think about. Yeah. That's, that's great. Um, you don't, you definitely don't always have to ask for something to receive something. And, um, I feel like, um, cultivating it in some way just magnifies that and it's but it's tough to not you know it's the whole out of sight out of mind thing it, it pertains to things it pertains to people right and if those people are you know quote unquote gone gone from the visual then um, slowly but surely after time, you just kind of stop thinking about them or, you know, maybe if your your friend passed away, you're thinking about them fucking all day long, every day. And then a year later, you you find yourself, oh, you know, I just thought about that person. I haven't thought about that person for a long time. And it's not that their life is any less the, the the effect that their life had on yours is any less meaningful. Now it's just, it's just how things go. There's just so much other stuff coming and coming and going in our lives right. that it's, it's, it's hard to just like have that untapped root, that tap root, just like always there. Um, you have to nurture it just like pretty much fucking any good thing in this world. talked about your dad and his passing and something that happened with you in that realm. Do you want to tell that story? Yeah, sure. Um, well, like we were, we were saying, I think I, um, I had the, the groundwork put in with my, my relationship with my grandfather after he passed and having that, relationship after he was gone um i knew that i could still you know have somewhat of a relationship with my father and still you know listen for guidance and and um and all that um so i guess he passed away about 
10 years ago now. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm glad I could get into the story now. It's, it was a really hard one for me to, to, uh, conjure up for a long time. I couldn't really get into this, to this story without really shedding some tears. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause you said your dad died sort of suddenly and unexpectedly. Yeah. He had, he had a heart attack at 60 and I feel, you know, he was a few years into retirement. He retired a little bit early and I feel like he was just really, uh, hitting his stride. He had, uh, met a new woman and remarried and bought his first home and, um, all that kind of stuff. And he was just, uh, really high on life and was always, um, um, very stimulating to my brother and I, and trying to expose us to as much as possible and traveling with us and all kinds of stuff. Just kind of, you know, he was kind of a chip off the old block with, with, uh, his, his father, my, my grandfather, just pretty mm-hmm. good with his hands and being creative and was into motorcycles and cars and um, scouting when he was young, younger. So uh, my grandfather was a scoutmaster too. So lots of, lots of hours in camping and canoeing and hiking and just being outdoors and all that kind of stuff. Um, so that, you know, in a nutshell was kind of, kind of the person he was and we were uh we were all really tight really close talked to each other all the time and um i think i'd just gotten him into text messaging which was like a huge thing just shortly before he passed Mm -hmm. and at the time i was just like oh man he's gonna be a total pain in the ass now he's like sending me texts for every little thing (laughs) all the time and you know, at the time I was just like, God dang it, man. Just like, give me some space here. You're retired. I'm not, you know? Right. And, um, you know, and then at, at some point after he died, I was just like, fuck man. I wish, I wish, I sure wish I was getting those stupid texts, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's all, it's all perspective. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, um, he passed away and uh, I was having a really difficult time at, at the time. My, my ex-wife, my wife, then she was out of the country and I was kind of, you know, I was by myself when I got the news and um, you know, my brother lives in town and stuff. So at least he was around, but as far as like in my household, it was just me and I, you know, I really fell into this deep darkness right away. Um, and I felt grief before, but nothing on this level, nothing where it was like, I also wanted to die just so I could be with him. Wow. I never, never really had any suicidal kind of thoughts ever in my life. And I was definitely having them after he died. And I was definitely just so far down. I mean, anybody that's, that's been through grief knows what I'm talking about. And um, it's kind of a hard thing to explain. If you haven't been through it, you just, you just don't know. But um, it took me to a place I just didn't ever think I could possibly get to because I consider myself a pretty positive person and able to navigate most emotions um, fairly easily, at least be aware that that emotion is there and, and to let it run its course and do its thing and just be okay with it is sort of my general rule. But, um, 
was having a really, really difficult time with um, him dying and just uh, super numb and um, really negative thoughts and just a huge, huge emptiness in my heart. Um, so I was kind of just, you know, in my house for a few days by myself and, you know, I don't think I was eating or really talking too much, you know, to anybody, you know, short conversations with my mom and other family members and stuff. But even that was super difficult. Um, you know, one of the hardest things I've ever had to do in my life was call my grandmother and tell her that her son was dead. Oh, wow. You had to break the news to her, huh? Yeah, I, I had to do that with her and other members of our family. I think I was, I, I was the first person that was called after it happened. So, um just the combination of him being gone and me having to do all that and try to process and everything. It was just a total, total shutdown, total darkness, total. Um, it's like I said, it, I can't even really explain it, but it's, it's down there, man. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I had this time, alone with myself and I was just kind of going through it and um, I think it was the second night I was by myself and um, I was just kind of laying in bed in the middle of the day and sort of dozing off to sleep in and out I mean I was just totally exhausted and I'm not really eating or drinking or anything and just kind of in and out of you know reality of that time right and um so I'm laying in bed and sort of in this in-between land and I felt somebody lay down next to me in the bed and I didn't really think much of it in the moment. In fact, I thought maybe my wife was home and she just laid down next to me and um, started to comfort me because I did feel comfort in that moment. And um, um, I was just, I was just feeling better. I was, not really snapping out of it, but um, just feeling better than where I was at. And um, I woke, I kind of woke up. I kind of woke up and realized that I was there by myself. But I definitely felt this presence next to me laying like i said laying down next to me very nurturing and um consoling energy and i just you know just thought about it for a split second and was just like holy shit that was that was my dad that was him wow and i even remember like the first night really wanting that like asking him begging him to to come to me in that moment of need. And it, it didn't happen that first night and when I was asking for it, but it did happen in that, that second or, or third night, whatever it was shortly after he passed. So I knew then that he was still around, that he was still watching me, that he was still with me. And really, that was kind of the only connection that I was interested in. And I think that may have something to do with how it manifested. But um, I wasn't really interested in any other human 
connection really i just wanted my father back in my life and where things were and how great things were i just was not ready to let that go whether it's my ego or my uh spirituality side of things i just was not ready to sever that connection so um that was sort of the start of things. And I think it was the next night, um, or maybe two nights later, it was right in there somewhere. Um, I had this dream, um, involving my father that was, you know, you hear about people saying, Oh, I had this dream. It was more real than real. And, I had never really experienced that before, but I did in this dream. Okay, that's the end of part one. Please check out episode 76, part two, to hear about this dream and what was to follow. Uh, It's pretty amazing. So uh, stay tuned. You'll hear this same music on the other side. And that's how you'll know you're in the right place. I'll see you over there.